I found this, this box of two inch, two track tapes. Those are, those are master reels. And, uh, and I thought, wait a minute, what, what is this? And then I started thinking about it and I did a lot of recording of, with me and, and different uh, songwriters, so songwriting partners. It's kind of a, a, a publishing uh, slash uh, recording house that I've got. I've got my own label now. That's Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Doug Cosmo Clifford. I'm Jamie Green, and this is Trading Force. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Trading Fours. I'm your host, Jamie Green, here in Kansas City. I hope you're doing well. We are into August, flying by, and uh, the world's a crazy, interesting place right now. I'm playing a bunch of shows, but playing them outdoors and trying to be safe as possible. Uh, I was really hoping that this bullshit would be over by now, weren't you? I can't believe that we still have to have a mask ordinance in Kansas City because schmoes won't get vaccinated. I just, anyway... Uh, and if you don't like that, uh, too bad. Because I'm sick of being uh, not able to play as many shows as I want. And it's it's killing the music industry, people. It's killing the live music industry. So uh, be better. You know? Get vaccinated. Anyway. All right. Done with my rant uh, today. You know, I got a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer on this podcast. And, and that's so cool. I mean, somebody who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that's such an accomplishment. And this is a band uh, that he was in originally that everybody knows, Credence Clearwater Revival or CCR. You, Unless you lived under a rock, <laughs> you've heard all their great hits over the years because they, you know, one of the biggest bands of the late 60s, early 70s in America. And the drummer of that band is my guest today. Uh, but we're not going to talk that much about CCR because, dude, it's, it's 2021. Let's talk about what's going on right now. And Doug Cosmo Clifford, the drummer extraordinaire uh, dialed in to talk about when he was cleaning out listening to some tapes he found that he had an entire album worth of uh, stuff that he needs to put out and he's putting it out right now and uh, he decided to go with his old pal Steve Wright from the Greg Ken band on bass Uh, sadly Steve is no longer with us but these tapes remain from 1986 you're gonna know a lot of the people are playing on this album uh, Greg Douglas from the Steve Miller Band, Jimmy Lyon from Eddie Money, and, you know, some guy that plays a little bit of guitar named uh, Joe Satriani. Just, that's just some of the names. So, uh, really enjoyed this. Doug's a super nice guy. We really had a good chat. He dialed in from his house in California. And we're talk, we uh, talked all about this new album and how he is in the world and how his health is going right now. Uh, so really enjoyed this. Doug was a total, total joy, um, and you're going to dig this too. So let's get started. Here's my conversation with Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Doug Cosmo Clifford. I appreciate you coming on uh, Trading Fours, Doug, and I, I, I'm asking everybody this because I, you know, I think it's important. It's been a hard time for a long time for a lot of people. So how are you holding up? I mean, it's crazy still, right? Well, you know, I'm holding up pretty good. I've got some medical issues and other things on top of what's going on with the pandemic, but it is what it is. Uh, I'm not the only one. It's the the world. So. Uh, we've got, uh, 
a lot of a lot of partners in this uh, mess that we're in and i think the, the best thing we can do is be patient do everything we can to fight the thing uh, i know there are a lot of unpopular th things about certain things that uh, they shouldn't be politicized that it, it's science uh do the best you can for you and your neighbors absolutely well, I, I really appreciate uh, the time. I actually got to listen to your album a couple of times and I, I've got a lot of questions. So first off, uh, I think it's kind of interesting uh, and time flies, doesn't it? So I was a senior in high school in 1986. Okay. And it's hard to believe that's been 35 years ago. I mean, it seems like if you'd ask me without a calendar, I'd say eh, 20 years maybe, right? Uh, it just flies by as you get older. So, but from your standpoint, you're literally like looking through tapes in your garage, correct? Well, uh, I, I wasn't really uh, looking for tapes. Uh, I sort of accidentally fell upon them, uh, going through my studio, uh, you know, just do a doing a little house, house cleaning. And I uh, found this, this box of two inch or uh, two track tapes. Those are, those are master reels. And, uh, and I thought, wait a minute, what, what is this? And then I started thinking about it and I did a lot of recording of, uh, with me and, and different uh, songwriters, so songwriting partners. It's kind of a, a, a publishing uh, slash uh, recording house that I've got. I've got my own label now. And uh, I only put uh, uh, songs on there that, that I've written or co-written with somebody else. It's, it's a really nice way to, to keep track of, of you know my work, so there the, there these things were, and I you know I I, I immediately realized that uh, they they were uh, old, and I didn't want to pop them on a on a machine and start to play them. I could see tape going all over and ruining them. So talked to an engineering buddy of mine and. Uh, he said, well, we'll have to bake them. And I said, well, we're not talking about brownies here. Now. <laughs> of course, you know, that's all legal now. So. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway. where you are, not where I am, but yeah. <laughs> little brownie humor. Here. But uh, 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 yeah, you do. You bake them and, uh, and then you take them and, and hopefully they, they will pass that test. But, and you immediately go and rewind that whole reel off to a, a digital uh, a machine. So you now you now that it's digital, have no fear of it going south. But I have probably ten uh, of those master reels. So there's a lot of music with different artists that I'm going to eventually uh, put out from Cosmos Vault. That would be me. My nickname is Cosmo. The vault is where, where the tapes are. And I'm going to be putting them out uh, one at a time. And uh, it's, I'm excited about it. The, the one that we're talking about now is Clifford Wright. That would be Steve Wright from the Greg Ken Band, wonderful bass player, uh, songwriter. Uh, and unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Uh, so that's another reason uh, to. Uh, pay attention to the, this tape. You get to hear some really, really good bass playing. And so uh, that would be the rhythm section, uh, Steve and myself, and we're from El Cerrito. We're El Cerrito boys. That's where Creedence came from. And 
and uh, he came from for for the 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 Greg Kin band, and so we've got that East Bay thing going, and uh, we have uh, also have uh, Joe Satriani on one of the guitars, Jimmy Lyon on one of the guitars, Greg Douglas on one of the guitars. So I have guitar pedigree going on like mad. Yeah. Those were all done at different times because you don't go into the studio with three guitar players like that and, and record. So I recorded one session with one, another session with another, you sort of get the idea. And uh, then we have um, uh, two great keyboard guys in there to kind of round things off. And um, uh, there's 11 songs on it. And uh, it's a really it's turned out to be a really good album because I had really good people around me, and that's one of the secrets of, of my career. Uh, get involved with people that, uh, first of all, are good people, and, and second of all, who uh, bring uh, something to, to the table that uh, uh, that I don't have, and the other guy next to him doesn't have, and. Uh, and then also let them know that should they have an idea, uh, pro or con, about something in the in, in a session, don't be afraid to speak up. So uh, I'm not one of these guys that's my way or the highway. I I have all the guys with all these credentials. Why would I put them in a box? Uh, and, uh, and that's the way I like to work. And uh, and then most importantly, we're here. We're making a rock and roll record. So. The, the the thing that's most important is that we have fun. Mm -hmm. This is a fun record. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and a it's great got thing. rockers, it's got ballads, it's got, right? It's got all kinds of things on it. All kinds of things, and, and, and including a great singer, a fella, young fellow named Keith England. Uh, he was the youngest guy during uh, this session and uh, did a, just a terrific job. So... Uh, the album's title is For All the Money in the World. That's the first cut. It's the single that's out now. Tomorrow, uh, I believe tomorrow's the third. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, the second single will be coming out called I Need Your Love. That, that's the second single on the album. So the singles are sort of falling into place uh, in, in, uh, in order. And... Uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm very excited, and it's kind of something that uh, you know, as you started the the the, uh, the broadcast, uh, will help lighten the load of what's going on out there in the world. Amen to that. Well, you know, it's interesting. Satch is a, a Bay Area guy too, right? Isn't uh, he from San Francisco? Where's he from? Uh, he's originally from New York. Okay, why did I think he was from San Francisco? I, I don't think so. Uh, I don't know how I got that wrong. Oh well. That's why I do this podcast to make myself a little smarter, <laughs> right? Because, right. but so you know, little, you know uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an East Bay guy, so my memory is short. Uh, <laughs> the East Bay side is, is the, you know, the blue collar side. Right. The, the other side was uh, uh, psychedelic music and stuff that uh, I, I'm not really interested in. Yeah. Uh, I, like, I like that grittier uh backbeat driven uh, rock and roll and uh, that's that's what we have here 
No, it's funny that it's, it's such true. It's such a dichotomy between those two areas. And the only thing else I would think of is that uh, I think Dave Brubeck was from, or at least he lived in Oakland for a long time, right? So this is the Bay Area, whether you're on the east side where you guys are from, the, it's a long history of not only rock and roll, but jazz and all sorts of good stuff. Yeah. Well, that's uh, Oakland's there too. So, you, you know, you've got... Uh, a lot of the great blues uh, acts came out of there, and I used to listen to that uh, blues station when I was learning to teach myself how to play drums. Top forty and and R and B, and top forty was uh, uh, just that uh, the the top forty songs. So they're 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 successful songs, they're hits, and so I'm listening to what guys that are making hits are are doing and learning that way. And uh, I, since I was a teen, you know, teenager, 12, 13 years of age, I didn't have uh, the technical uh, prowess that uh, uh, if I would have been taking lessons since I was five, four years old, yeah, uh, I would have, so I'm a, I'm a fuel player, a, a heart player. And uh, so that a lot of times there would be fills or certain drum parts that, I, that made me feel a certain way and uh, and I liked it. And then sometimes technologically, I couldn't reproduce what what, what they were doing. So I, I dissected it down to the parts that were making me move a certain way. And in some cases, you know, it, it was a less is best uh, uh, approach. And that was Credence's approach too. Uh, and uh, and it actually, the, the break was improved by some of the things that I took out. And uh, then the, then the, once in a while, there would be something that uh, would move me. And uh, I had enough uh, technological uh, uh, know-how at that point to do other things. And I might add something. Uh, and uh, But anyway, that's how I, I took, went out and selectively uh, plucked the the plums off the off the plum tree, and then when I was listening to the R and B station, I was just really listening to grooves for the most part. There wasn't a lot of fills. These guys were just in the pocket, and they did had a nice, active, supportive left hand on the snare drum, and that's where they you know they added the little extra things, but they did it in such a way that it, that it, it it worked with the groove. And generally, it wasn't just a, a like a fill that they did. It was part of the beat that they were playing. And case in point, uh, Bo Diddley. Oh, yeah. That, that was the second record I ever bought. I was nine years old in 1953. The first one was Roll With Me, Henry by Etta James. I know I always get the name wrong, but it was Roll With Me, Henry. Right. Etta James, and the guy, nine-year-old kid. Uh, it's kind of funny. I guess you know the blues was uh, in uh, in my uh, my heart and, and soul from an early age, even before I could play. Well, I yeah. think with music, it's you got to let it breathe, right? I think that's part of the thing, right? You you don't want to over. I mean, that's why I think everybody loves Ringo as a drummer because Ringo, you know, Ringo can't play all these amazing huge fills because there's so much going on with the rest of the band. He's got to do his, but he did really cool stuff too. You don't have to overwhelm the track to make it cool, correct? Uh, the most underrated drummer ever, Ringo Starr. You know, the guy never got credit for any impact. Guys all will 
in conversation. Most of them are not drummers, I might add. Come right. So you know, boy, why did the Beatles go with Ringo Starr? I mean, he's you know he he doesn't play much. I say, man, he, he doesn't play much. He plays more than you can ever imagine by what he doesn't play and the things that he does around support supporting the, the other guys. The other guys don't know how, well, they probably do know how lucky they are having Ringo Starr as a drummer. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, and I think also, and I'm obviously a little bit younger than you, but I started playing guitar long before the internet. And I think it's a double-edged sword. Like you said, there's these four-year-old kids that are like prodigies because they've sat there for hours and hours and hours and, you know, or on YouTube and things. But I think the older generation certainly has a lot better ear because you had to figure these things out without all that you had to be like oh i just have to listen to the album over and over again you couldn't slow it down couldn't figure, right and then just i i would assume you would think that too your ears a lot better because of it oh i no question about it i i got to be pretty good at what i call dropping the needle uh you know you we, we had a very crude <laughs> uh, uh audio system you know you have the the softest uh, material in the world or one of them uh, light plastic putting the, the, the strongest uh, material, dropping a diamond. I doubt I, my, I had a diamond uh, stylus in there, but I, you know, it was, it was definitely steel to drop it on. And you could tell what part of the record I was uh, listening to a lot because it was a different color. <laughs> it was lighter from, you know, being repetitive uh, 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 RPMs. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, and I also uh, use my school books. I set my books up uh, like drummers, like drums. And then the, uh, back in the 60s, uh, early, early, late 50s, they had little lamps, brass lamps with a flex neck on them and a, and a cone. Well, that was my, my symbol. Okay. It's, it was kind of a, a cross between a hi-hat and a cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to, you know, I had to sort of, use the eraser and and the thing that was kind of funny is my mama said what are you are you doing your homework yeah yes mom i'm doing my homework well i wasn't doing my homework for my future but i you know i didn't say that and one one day she came in she said are you, how do you do your homework when your pencils aren't sharpened <laughs> i said well I'm, the, the ones that i was using uh you know they they kind of wore out, so I I just haven't sharpened these up yet. So that's funny. Did yeah. she forgive you later when you became rich and famous? Was it all forgiven? Uh, of course it was, because her dream was to be a singer. Uh, and when she was eighteen, she was in a quartet, and they sang on the radio, local radio. But and uh, so she had she had always dreamed of that. But and then she got married and got pregnant. So. Uh, she was always behind me. My dad was not so, so so happy with the music I was listening to because it was black music, a lot of it. He didn't like that. And, uh, and, and he just thought rock and roll was, you know, bad for me. <laughs> so, that was but, a very popular thing back then. I mean, a lot yeah, of people felt that way, right? It was taboo. I mean, you couldn't play it in, in the music rooms. That's why we didn't join the band, the school band, couldn't play rock and roll. So we, you know, we had our own band, our little trios. And then Tom came in later 
brought us into the recording studio to back him up to uh, record demos for for potential deal makers and uh yeah so uh, but the the thing about it uh uh two things and uh, my my dad i was 15 going to a gig and of course i couldn't drive so I loaded my drums up in our station wagon and my dad dad said god i'm gonna swear here oh that's fine this is a he said, you can say whatever you want man it's perfectly okay this is the exact quote he said god damn it doug why didn't you take up the piccolo and walk to the gig? And I said, yeah, pop, but I don't know any piccolo players who are working. And he said, hmm, you got a point there. <laughs> and one that really, that really mattered. We had just finished playing at the Oakland Coliseum and, the, and it had was being filmed for an hour television special. That's all big time. We're now in the big time. And I see this guy that I, 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 I was walking towards me. And so the, the light was behind him and I could only see his silhouette. But I, I knew the walk, you know, and then I see this gray hair and it's my old man. And uh, he came up and said, I always knew you'd make it. Well, that had to make your life. So yeah, got a little weepy there. Ooh. Well, that's. That's, you know, my dad was a jazz musician and uh, played in big bands and did all that. And there's nothing more as a musician than having feel validated by your family and your parents, especially. That's a touching, wonderful moment. That's why you still remember it. How long ago was that? Long time ago, 50 years. Well, I want to talk about your songwriting and your playing piano and that stuff. And and I don't really, I, I hate interviews where all they want to talk about is what you did a million years ago. That's important, but you've been asked about this a ton of times. The only thing I'm going to ask you about, you guys have so many, like you're in so many movies, these cultural, you know, right. These moments where what, which one of those is your favorite? Like you're sitting and you're watching a movie and one of your guys' song comes on and it just kind of sets the scene. Do you have any of those? Well, I, I, let me, let me answer it this way. Most of the time it's going to be fortunate son. And it's going to be a movie about Vietnam. If it's a Vietnam movie, it's Fortunate Son or Run Through the Jungle or both. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, a, that's an automatic. Um, but uh, I, there, I can't remember. It was Nick Nolte was the, the, the actor. And I think it's Who Will Stop the Rain. I think that was the title of the movie. It wasn't a very good movie. But it was a change up uh, of, of uh, song choice. So I, I like that because when it came in, it really worked well, and I understood why they called it uh, uh, after after the, the the name of the the, the song. Um, but it, you know, any any or or, or all of, of the, the the songs that we play, if it's in a movie, I'm just hoping the movie's good. Right. Born on the Bayou was swamp thing or something like that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> not one of the better mo movies but my favorite credence song so there you you know I, I, you got to juggle those things and, and weigh them out um but uh yeah it's it's always it's always fun to know about where, where i get the biggest clip uh, out of it is in in the grocery store and it's usually when i'm in the produce uh, department one of our songs comes on and you know, there it is. And uh, 
I won't sit, tell you who it is, but there, there's a, an old friend of mine who had several hits, and we we're talking about it. And you know, one of our songs came on. I said, "Oh man, that that's cool." And I said, "Do you don't you get a kick out of it when you hear one of your songs?" He said, oh, "I turn this, I turn the channel." I said, what, "What do you mean you turn the channel? This is my, you know, my life's dream." And you know, here it comes out, and we're in a public little place where they, I'm buying a red bell pepper, and you know, there it comes on. I said, you know, wait till I stop playing it. You might have change your mind. Yeah, because most musicians want that. Yeah, like kids that play sports, they all think they're going to be in the NFL or Major League Baseball or whatever. And but you're in a very small elite group. It doesn't happen that much. It's, you know, and I'm sure you know of musicians that you would say, man, they were just as good as I was, or maybe even better. Oh, sure. But the, the lightning didn't strike. It wasn't the right time or what, for whatever reason. I mean, it's a, it's an amazing, cool thing. It is absolutely. And, uh, you know, and I, I still get it. I still get a little, little, uh, little extra beat in, in the, in the, in the heart. And, uh, uh, it's it's it's, just, it's wonderful. I, I hope it never stops. And I, I, the way it looks, our our uh, dream was when we started the trio, was to someday have radio play our our songs on the radio. And uh, they've been doing it for fifty three years. So yeah, mission, my whole life. Mission accomplished there. Absolutely. No, I, it's funny. And then we let's go on the song right. But you know, I thought you guys were from the south because there was no internet. So I was like, these guys must be from like Alabama or, you know, Louisiana or somewhere because they're talking about on the bayou and stuff. So I was, I was absolutely floored when I found out you guys were from the Bay Area of California. It was just funny because I was like, they must be speaking from their personal experience of being born on the bayou. But I guess if you, you've got a great song with a great hook, you can make people believe anything, right? It was a, That's right. Well, we, that's the music that we aspire to to take down the road with us and uh, we weren't going to do something the label which was a jazz label uh, only reason why they signed us is because they said rock and roll records make more money than jazz records and it was a strictly an, an, an economics move uh, so uh, the they said oh, kept telling us you guys need a, a gimmick you need a gimmick we said well how about a hit there's your gimmick, you know, that, and they put us, called us the Gollywogs and put Terrible us in. <laughs> the only thing worse than that was the uniforms that they put us in. These things were just a joke with a white Cossack hat on top of that, all of that. I could tell when, you know, after that I had had a gig the night before, uh, because when I would wake up, my neck was so stiff because I played with my head down. <laughs> Didn't want anybody to see you. Yeah, that's funny. So, when did you decide? And I know you you put an album way back out in 1972. So, obviously, you are not new to the game of of creating your own music. But let's talk a little bit about your your songwriting craft. I read that you picked up the piano so you could actually write more. I mean, obviously, a drummer is about the beat and all that sort of stuff. So, what was the Desire, did you always want to write music on your own? Was it something that came in later and was the piano a vehicle to do it or was it just something that you enjoyed sitting down and playing? Yes. Uh, uh, it was something that I, uh, being around songwriters and, and being a, a, a 
creative. I like to tell stories, so that sort of falls in, 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 that, in that category. And, and it's just a matter of doing it. I'd have guys come over and we would jam and, and or, you know, whatever. Uh, then uh, if there was something there that uh, I thought had potential or that I was interested in taking further down the path, I would work on it. And uh, uh, so most of what I do is, is, is lyrics, uh, but uh, there are, are a lot of times uh, somebody will come with the chorus you know that's that's the, the meat and potatoes and so i have to i have to write the the rest of the music or if that chorus doesn't have 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 lyrics already and then you know i, I write 100 percent of, of the song including the, the payday i kind of like that part of writing the payday because most of the time guys that have the little hook or the guitar hook don't have don't match it up with with what they're doing lyrically. So mm -hmm. I just said, okay, give me the hook, and, and then I'll work on it at night, uh, looking out my magic window, which is a, a second album. The first solo album was an experiment, not not a not a, a, an artistic adventure. Uh, we, Stu and I had the lease from the, for the Fat Cosmos factory, and we thought, well, we have this facility that. You know, we we could convert into a recording facility, and and we could go out and and uh, pick out local talent that we think is has potential, and then record record in the in the in the factory using a remote truck with a with a, a snake for live for recordings. And what we would do is we would rent the truck out for capital. And then once we had a group that we wanted to work on, uh, then we had we had money to invest in them from the use of the truck. Plus, we would bring the truck in, put the snake into our re rehearsal area. We never recorded in the factory, but we sure as hell rehearsed our butts off there. And that room always had a good feeling to it. It was mainly curtains, mm. high curtains and, 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 a, and, a, and a rug. Uh, and uh, uh, and it, and it and it sounded good, but we had to test it out to see. And of course, there was no trucks uh, in uh, in the Bay Area; they were all in L.A. Mm -hmm. And that's that's one of the things we were thinking. Hey, if we get the first truck out there, you know, we there 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 is our our capital. So uh, brought it in, and then I just got a bunch of guys that I've always wanted to to play with. Uh, Tower Power Horns, the Donald oh Duck. God, Dunn. Yes, Duck Dunn is one of my dear friends. I ended up doing at least three albums as, as a producer with Duck, and I get to play with him. That's that's, that's a, a big thing. I really miss him, and uh, uh, and then uh, John McPhee from the Doobie Brothers. So I had all these guys that I, I really enjoyed, but I didn't sing. I didn't practice it. It wasn't that the album wasn't something I was recording to, to try and sell and and do uh, you know make money with it was to see if our plan would work see how things sounded what it felt like recording in there and all the things that that you want to know about the space that you're going to make records in and it worked, it worked great the problem was 
uh, Frank Demidio, the, the guy who makes these things, gave us a, a date that he would be finished, and that was really good. It took him three times as long as the date. <laughs> By the time he was done, there were three other trucks in the Bay Area, and it made, you know, it, we still used it that, that way, uh, but we, we, could, we, we couldn't charge as much as we would have if we were, had the, you know, no competition out there. Yeah, you had the monopoly there, but then it went away. Boom. So, but anyway, that, that's uh, uh, why that album. And then when I did Magic Window, I practiced the hell out of my vocals and I, I, I improved my singing, uh, which I thought was the weak link in my first album. So let, that's interesting because um, I obviously I'm nowhere in your, your caliber, but I have a 90s band and we play and I'm, I'm a, I have been, I tell people I have a voice that was made for harmonies, right? That that's just it, <laughs> right? Because that's, just, you know, you should know your, but so, so when you decide, hey, I want to see, that's, that's a daunting thing, right? I mean, that's, that's a daunting thing to say, I'm going to be the lead vocalist on this track. Yeah. So is it, did you get a professional singing help? Did you just do it on your own? Was it just like you did with the drums when you first pick them up, it's just hours of just, I'm going to keep working on it. And I think people think that it's some sort of like magic thing that comes from the sky. And obviously you have to have some innate ability to be a musician, but a lot of it's just hard work. That's right? hard. Exactly. And that's brings me to a, something that I tell people all the time about dreams. Dreams are, are, are nice. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're good things. And, uh, but a dream is nothing if you don't put 110% behind it. Be passionate. You have to be passionate about it. You have to work your ass off to make it happen. It's not going to just fall in your lap. You know, oh, I have a dream now. Now I can go and make a record and, and sing like, you know, like Elvis Presley. That, it doesn't work that way. You have to, you have to be 100% committed to, for if you are serious about a dream and making it happen and that uh, and a lot of people think the uh, the the other way if i have it you know it, it's going to come to me someday well you better get busy working on it because it, it, it's not going to happen otherwise no i mean it's reps whether you're a musician i'm here in kansas city you know patrick mahomes is arguably the the greatest quarterback on the planet right now and he practices every day and on the, on the things he's not good at. And it's the same thing with musicians. Terrific, but I'm a Raider fan, so it makes me hard to... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> a lot of people say that. It was great during the glory days, you know, uh, with Kenny Stabler. And oh, yeah. Winning yeah. Uh, Super Bowls. And he was a Creedence fan and invited uh, uh, Stu and I to practices. And, and uh, I, I got to meet Johnny Unitas and, uh, you know, and Madden and... and all the players, they came out when we went into the locker room. They came out, Ray Guy, uh, Kenny Stabler, and Marv Hubbard, uh, out of the shower with a towel around their, their waist, singing Proud Mary when we walked in. <laughs> I, thought it was I think every crazy. jock wants to be a musician, and every musician seems to want to have a jock part in their life, right? That is true. That is true. Well, I'm going to go a little into the weeds, but you, since you're a real Raiders fan, you'll get this. My favorite Raiders player, because I, I was born and raised in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he was my hero when I was a little kid, was Dave Hum. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I still remember when I was like, asked my mom to measure how tall six foot was, because that's how tall Dave Hum was, and I wanted to be, and he was left-handed, and I'm left-handed. 
Oh. So being a left-handed quarterback, that was really cool. And he played his whole professional. I mean, he was always the backup, but he played for the Raiders his entire. And I know he was huge into the Raiders scene for years afterward. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I, I, I really worry about him because they're in Las Vegas and you know, that's a recipe for disasters for, for, for the rep, reputation of ra- the Raiders, you know, they'll fit right into that, that party zone and uh, right. <laughs> You know, I I don't know what's going to happen to him. I, I'm I'm not as you know I, I'm not a, a I used to be a diehard fan. I would root only for them. I root for the uh, the, the Chiefs when they're not playing the Raiders. Yeah, uh, because I, I really am in, in, impressed with their, their whole scheme, with their whole scheme. And I was I was defensive back. That's how I got out of Vietnam. I played defensive back for the. Uh, Coast Guard on the West Coast, uh, but uh, I, I uh, uh, you know, I, I, I love love playing the the game, and uh, and uh, I, I, I would lo- lo- I love their defense. They're, they're you know they they had some nasty guys back there. It was a, a nastier game back then. Oh my gosh, you watch those old clips from and on YouTube from the seventies. Just like every one of these guys would have been thrown out of the league. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just like they're chopping guys, guys on the head. They're just, you know, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how any of those guys could even walk. I mean, it's just and on that old field turf too. Do you remember that? And I'm sorry, we're on a tangent, but I like football too. But it was cement basically. <laughs> these guys were getting rammed into. Yeah, they, uh, they had a different game going. Absolutely, uh, it was a lot more fun. But uh, you know, uh, I was a, a kid and. And uh, just in, enjoying uh, these guys. They, they were they were they were talented guys. But the the things you could do, the defensive guys are, are, are always having things taken away from them because people want to see offenses and see touchdowns. Mm-hmm. That, that's how football works. And so who's going to get who's going to get the shaft? The defensive guys. Mm-hmm. And that used to be. You know, uh, pine tar on, on the back of your hands. I, I saw interceptions where Lester Hayes put his hand up in the air and the ball stuck to his knuckles. Right. Interception. Yeah. 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 Can't do any of that stuff. That's funny. Um, well, before we go, so I will put in the show notes how to, to find the new album. Like you said, the one track is out as already by the time this will go live on Saturday, Doug. So the second track will be out. So for people that are interested in you, is it your website? What's the best way for people to follow you and see what you're up to? Well, that's uh, that's my website. And one of the things you can do if you go there, you can uh, pre-order the album or uh, save uh, the, uh, the, I'm not really sure. I've never really heard this before, but you can save it. Uh, and I guess it means, it probably means the same thing. Uh, you can order it and uh, or and or pre-order it. So when when it's released, you uh, will get it faster. There's a, there's some really good uh, good stuff on there. I I mean I'm I, I'm not I'm not right now. I'm analyzing it and I'm I'm probably the toughest uh, uh, against myself. It's a good it's a really good record. I'm proud of with great players on it. And uh, it's uh, an East Bay thriller. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, guys, uh, most of which were from the 
uh, Greg Kinn band at one time or another. All of those three guitar players were at one time or another in Greg Kinn. Of course, Steve Wright was definitely in Greg Kinn, co-wrote uh, Jeopardy and uh, just a great bass player. Yeah, you, you, you really uh, listen to that guy's playing. I mean, he's he's really good. And, and a guy that when, you, when a drummer has a, a, a guy like that, uh, and I've been lucky in my career to, you know, I had Stu Cook for... 50 years yeah uh, and you know and i've done work with uh, donald duck don and so i've i've uh, i've been fortunate to to have good guys around me and uh yeah it's uh, it's it's still fun uh, but right now i'm a, 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 a producer uh songwriter and 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 i like it uh, it's a change I'm, I'm not touring anymore i'm not uh, getting beat up in the airports or, or on the on the highways, and uh, one thing I, I do miss is I miss the fans and I miss the boys in the band, you know. So for that hour and a half that, of glory that we get, there's 22 and a half hours of poo, you know, being on the road. And I've got uh, uh, Parkinson's now, and and uh, it, it's. I, you know, it affects my speech too. I, I do a lot of, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, that's, you know, that's just part of the deal. I can, I play every day. And so I, uh, that's my, one, one of my bits of exercise that I, I get. I try to get as much exercise as I can. Absolutely. And no, uh, I, uh, I just had Art Alisakis on from the band Everclear and he has multiple sclerosis. Oh, right. Uh, and he's 59. And so I was asking him, I was like, how do you do it? Right. Because like you said, and I don't, you know, one of the reasons why I started this podcast, I really wanted to kind of get people the, the behind the scenes and I'm all about, you know, it's the artists and the craft and how are they creative and stuff, but to be creative and to get your product out there, you have to go on the road and the road's pretty brutal. Oh yeah. You know? uh, sleeping, trying to sleep on a bus overnight. It's not a good night's sleep. Right. So um, it's better though than sleeping in a, in a hotel room and then having the, the, the next day be a travel day in the, in an airport. Oh, you know, you're, Oh God, I, am I, I going to ma make this connection? Mm -hmm. Holy crap. I, you know, why didn't the travel agent give me three flights? I told her no more than two, you know, just, uh, yeah. You got to really love music to tour. Oh, and, you know, part of my thing is we, Stu and I had a band, Credence Clearwater Revisited, and we did that for 25 years. We had a, like a four-year plan. <laughs> and the fans, the fans just wanted it uh, live. They would, they, you know, John Fogarty wasn't playing, even playing these songs. He wouldn't play them. Mm. Now he plays them, of course. And I, I, I attribute that to the fact that we were playing them and playing them successfully. He had never admit that, but you know, I don't, I don't really care. Uh, I'm, I, I was, uh, you know, everybody has heard about our, our, our negative side. And, but quite honestly, I was really glad to see him playing those songs. So he, he, you know, he needs to be playing those songs. And uh, of course now he is, he had to sue us though first. But anyway, that's, you know, the legacy that counts is, is the music. And, and in less than four years, we came up with, uh, with that. And, and uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. I mean, you know, we, we worked hard. We always worked straight and sober. 
and that was a, a, a pact we made in the Fillmore Auditorium when we were went to a Grateful Dead show and, uh, and saw you know the condition their condition was in and how good they said they were at that time at that show. And we said, well, we better you know yeah you know that's probably why we get on the music. That's what we did. did. Yeah, and I, I think that's great. And like I said, I didn't want, you know, I, I don't like the Maury Povich kind of the soap opera thing because you had to deal with that and it's not the fun part. The fun part to you is the legacy and the music. And I, and I think a good way to probably wrap this up is so it's almost, and I can't believe this because it just, like I said, or when we started this time just flies by, but it'll be almost, I think next summer, it's going to be 30 years that you guys got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> I know, I, I, you know, uh, time flies when you're having fun. So what is that, does the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, there's a lot of controversy around it because, you know, there's always people over there, bands that should be in that are, you know, like Pat Benatar should have been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a long time ago. The fact that Van Halen had to wait to be in the Rock, Van Halen had to wait to be in the, whether you love them or not, you know, they fit the criteria. So what does it mean to some, you're the first person I've ever talked to who was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What does it mean to you as a person to have this? Okay, we had a, one of those horrible things happened. John refused to play with us. So he brings Bruce Springsteen and Robbie Robertson up on stage and throws us out the back door. That was really tough. And I, you know, no warning. We found out the night we were going to go on. So uh, from my, my personal experience at, at the event, was, wasn't because of the Hall of Fame. Well, it was, they went along with John. John said, I'm not playing with these guys. And he says, well, you really shouldn't. He says, I'm, I, I won't play then. So anyway, the, the, I'll get to the positive part of it. The positive part is that we're, we're voted in by our peers. So, you know, I, 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 like, I like that. And also I think it, that, that night, the seeds were planted for revisited. Uh, you know, two years later, we, we put that together. And I think that what happened had a lot to do with our saying, yeah, we'll do it. Uh, and, and it'll, it's, and it's going to be, you know, a joyous occasion and uh, we'll be, we'll be able to have our own hall of fame playing every night for, in front of our fans. So that's, you know, where, where I stand on it again, it's, it's the highest, uh, uh, tip of the hat you can get from your peers, so that's that's what what really matters, and uh, and and the, and the fact that uh, you know that we we got in on a first ballot. Yeah, that's amazing. Not that many bands get that. And and that I, I that was uh, you know I again and all those all the positive things were you know are all really really good and things that I'm I mean I'm proud of it and. Uh, proud, proud of the, the work we did uh, in the studio. So uh, making the, you know, making the hits that got us in there and uh, hats off to John on, on, on that. But if you look at, at, at uh, uh, we were a team, we, we really were, we all brought something to the table. And uh, that's why in less than four years, we had a, a 10, at least top 10 hits. And then in, in over 40 years as, as a solo artist, uh, John's had two. And so, I mean, you know, I, that, that, that kind of summarizes, I don't have to say anything more than that, you know. We, well, Kenny Stabler needed 10 other guys to win those Super Bowls. 
You bet. I love Kenny Staver. I, I, I miss that guy. Yeah, Snake was great, man. He was a lot of fun. He was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's the analogy. It's like, well, whoever you are, unless you're Prince and you can do everything yourself. <laughs> but for the most part, it's, a you know, we were talking about Ringo earlier. Ringo was an integral part of the Beatles' success. And it's interesting. I was watching the thing with on Hulu right now with Rick Rubin and Paul McCartney and Paul to his credit talks about how much Ringo made a difference for the Beatles and how it was. And he talks the same about George too. And the same thing with you guys. I mean, it's four people. Yeah. And it's, it's what you guys are in that room creating. That's what makes it the magic that it becomes. So totally get that. Well, I really like the new album. I, it's really nice to talk to you. We didn't even get to, I used to live in Scottsdale. Oh, um, for a while so it's just kind of interesting you spend part of your year in scottsdale i can see why you're not there in the summer yeah, well, I always laugh it's a dry heat and i was like you've never been there in the summer right i i've been in there a couple of times and one 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 time it was 121 and i burned my hand when i went to get into the car on the doorknob and and then i burnt my my uh, thigh sliding in the safety belt the metal part had been in the sun I'd, and I slid into the, into the car hurriedly to get on, get the air conditioning on and then went flying back out because I burnt, burnt the crap out of my, my leg. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's rough in the summertime. No, it's not a nice place to be. I mean, it's gorgeous from like what, mid-October to mid-April. It's great then, but yeah. it's, a, it's a reason why it was a small town until air conditioning was invented because you did not want to be there when there's no air conditioning. Yeah. Anyway, well, I, it's a joy to talk to you. I really appreciate the time. Uh, like I said, this uh, podcast will go up on Saturday. I'll make sure it's in the links out and stuff. And do you have any good Kansas City stories? You've had to play here a trillion times. Well, yeah, I, I do. Uh, we uh, we went out uh, with Booker T and the MGs uh, because we were at the point where we were number one in the world in record sales and, and concert draw. And so that meant we're the we're the guys that are booking the, sh the the shows. So we don't have to listen to somebody that we you know don't want to be listening to. We will pick it. So we picked Booker T and the MGs. We thought that you know we we really uh, we knew they were what they were to stacks. They were the house band. Mm -hmm. They were great guys, and and they we helped they helped us model our 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 setup because you know we saw how hard they worked and. And, you know, they were just decent and wonderful people. Al Jackson was my idol. Uh, and, uh, but uh, then the, the, the opening act was Wilbur Harrison, Kansas City. I left. Yep. Yep. And uh, uh, Wilbur was a terrific guy, but you, you didn't want to shake hands with him because he was a vice. When we first met him, I, I had a hard time playing that night because he, he crushed my hand. <laughs> how you doing? Oh, how you doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, was a, it was a manly shake, you know. But he, bless his heart, he was a very, very serious alcoholic. He had to have his uh, bottle a day of, I think it was gin. Mm. Otherwise, he, he couldn't function. Mm. Another thing that he did is we stayed in very upscale, nice hotels with suites. We took care of everything. You know, he had his suite, but he would go in and he would steal things out of there, steal anything that was silver. Okay. And so we were, we were flying out uh, and going home and uh, 
they were checking the luggage and they and his bag was always heavy and had a funny little muffled sound to it and he opened it up there was a, all this silver tea sets and and some silverware and spatulas and you, know, you name it tea uh, did you just ship it home then? Was that the deal? When it would gotten full up, he'd send it home, or did you just carry it on the entire tour? On the plane with him. That's crazy. <laughs> the guys in the airport, you know, they, they what's what's this? He said, oh, you know, I collect silver. And <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> that wasn't a lie. So. <laughs> so, but, oh, that's too funny. Yeah, we're playing. We're playing at uh, the Royal Albert Hall, and he's supposed to be on and, and he wasn't on we're going where the hell is Wilbur and wh whoever was in charge of his bottle had left it in the hotel and he, he says I can't I can't it was shaking he said I can't go out and play I can't go out and play so we just sent a, a runner go get a bottle of gin and get your ass back here we were, you know so we stalled a little, little bit more and and got him his bottle and he took a major, major, major hit off of that. And he had, he was a one man band. He had a little bass drum. He had his, you know, his hi-hat. He, he was great. It was perfect. You know, 30 minutes. It's all you need for your opener. Right. And, uh, and uh, but the, that's my Kansas City story. That's hilarious. Well, and I wrote the song. That's right. And I, and I'm pretty sure he wasn't, had never been here when he wrote it. It was, he didn't go here until later, but. <laughs> but he like had just heard about it and you know 18th and vine and all the stuff and then it's like and it's a great song in fact it's the theme song for this podcast so that's a nice way to tie it up yeah that's cool man it's really nice to talk to you i, I really wish you the best of luck and uh, uh i hope things go i know parkinson's not easy and i i certainly appreciate you being honest about that um so please take care of yourself uh, i'm glad you're getting to be home with your you have a bunch of grandkids right so that's got to be fun yeah, it is. And I missed a lot of birthdays, so I'll, i got to make that up. And as far as the Parkinson's, you know, it was a slow uh, progression. I was uh, diagnosed 15 years ago. And so, it, you know, I could have been a lot worse. And uh, I just consider myself lucky, uh, lucky and, 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 and work and lucky and love. I've been married for 53 years. That's amazing. That's with my wife. It doesn't happen often in music. So I've been I've been lucky. I have no complaints. You know, if I. I told Stu we're going to have to learn a, a, a non-credence song for uh, for the, the, you know, revisited, and we only played credence music. He said, "No, we're not." I said, "Yeah, we got to learn shake, rattle, and roll." And that's that's <laughs> that's your that's your Parkinson's. I get it. It's funny. You got I, you got to make you got to joke about this stuff. You, I can't you know go around worrying about it. Uh, I, I'm doing everything I can and. and uh, Working is, is really helpful. Working on, on the project is fun. I, I get to talk to radio. Radio is what made us happen. Right. Uh, our label didn't know what to do with us. And uh, uh, radio is still uh, what keeps us uh, alive and, and it is appreciated. Well, I, um, I appreciate it too. And for what it's worth, even though I'm a Gen Xer, you guys were a huge part of even my generation soundtrack. So thank you. And, and I really enjoyed the album and, and uh, I wish you all the best. So take care, Doug. Thanks, Jeremy. All right, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Doug Cosmo Clifford, everyone. You know, Doug was so nice. Even though I'm here in Kansas City, I could not give him a hard time about being a Raiders fan. I mean, people in Kansas City hate the Raiders. <laughs> but he was so cool and such a nice guy, and it was such a great chat. Uh, I, I couldn't do it, man. I couldn't do it to him. So, uh, Doug, I hope that the Raiders don't implode in Las Vegas. Like you said, that's kind of a recipe for disaster, but uh, hopefully... Gruden can keep them in line a little bit. So that's going to do it for today's Trading Force. Thanks so much, Doug. And uh, next time, we're going back. We're coming back home to Kansas City. Uh, Lonnie McFadden, who, if you know anything about Kansas City Jazz, he is like one of the capstones uh, of the jazz scene here. He's got this really cool club downtown called Lonnie's Reno Club. He named it purposely that to honor the huge jazz history. And Lonnie grew up in a really musical family where his dad was a professional tap dancer and very famous uh, and opened up and knew people like Count Basie and stuff. So Lonnie and I, we've been trying, like the Dickens, to get on each other's calendar. Finally got it to on. Uh, we had so much fun. Lonnie's such a cool dude. I mean, we just laughed and had a great time. So you're going to really dig that one, too. That's next week. Until then, go out, support live music, and we'll talk real soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.